0: Please open God's holy word this morning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, Pastor Ryan has read for us verses 1 through 8 and the major text that I want to deal with this morning is verse 7, but we will also read verses 6 and 7. God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. May the Lord give us wisdom and understanding from His Word this morning. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. In John Bunyan's epic allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is on his way. He has left the city of destruction, and he is on his way to the celestial city. Along his journey, he goes into the interpreter's house, where he sees many things that are strange to him. In one particular room of the interpreter's house, there sat two little boys. The one boy's name was Passion, and the other boy's name was Patience. Well, Patience, excuse me, Passion was in much duress. He was very agitated, very discontent. While Patience, on the other hand, was sitting there in a state of tranquility and peacefulness. So Christian asked the interpreter, why is passion so restless? And the interpreter says, well, it's like this. The governess of the land has said that the two children, the two little boys, must wait for a year until they receive the fullness of blessing. But passion could not wait. In a temper tantrum, he raged on, worried, discontent. Well, then very soon, a bag of treasures was dropped at the feet of passion. Now he began to be so excited with what he had. He was rejoicing in the pleasures that he had. And he made fun of patients who sat there with nothing. But it was not long before passion had gone through all the treasures. And he had nothing left whatsoever. And Christian said to the interpreter, what means this? And he says, so it is with the people of this world. They are like passion. They cannot wait upon the eternal blessings of God. They want everything now in this world. They will not wait. They say to themselves that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and they want it all now. On the other hand, patience were like those that are children of the kingdom to come. They are willing to wait and see the blessings of God in a future time. They are willing to right now in this day and age to trust God at peace and contentment with what God has, knowing that in the future, there's going to be a greater time of blessings and glory. In our text this morning and the surrounding context, we have a picture of these two type of individuals. On the one hand, the majority of the people in this world are like passion. They want it right now. Look in chapter 1 with verse 26. The Lord said, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. You see, here are the children of this world. They cannot wait. They want pleasure. They want uh, happiness now as they see it. So they gratify themselves in the things of the flesh. Turning away from the things of God. In the next context, we see that people... In any given age, verses 26 and 27, give themselves over to all types of sins like lesbianism and homosexuality. Verse 28, even then, as God did not like to retain, even then, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. God says, This is what you wish. He turns them over. He, he turns off the light in, the, the, in their life because this is what they want. They want the pleasures of this age now and they will have it. And God says, okay, you can have it. He turns them over to do those things which are not fitting. Verse 29, And then they are filled with all types of unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, maliciousness, Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, and bitterers of evil things, and also disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Verse 32. Who, listen to this, they know the righteous judgment of God, they know what they're doing is is going to have severe consequences before the Lord. But yet, they continue to practice such things, though they are deserving of death. And not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. You see, their motto is, I want it now. And what do they do? They give themselves over to the lusts of the flesh. And they turn their back upon God. But this is what God says in chapter 2 and verse 5 to them. But in accordance with the hardness uh, and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. They will get the consequences of their sin. They will be judged according to their sins. And verse 6 says that God will render to each one according to their deeds. We talked this morning. There's going to be two major uh, divisions of judgment when God judges His people. To those who have rejected Christ, they will be judged and they will suffer throughout eternity because of their rejection of Christ. We, on the other hand, that are in Christ... We'll be judged not according to our sins, praise God. Our sins have been dealt with. We'll be judged according to whether or not we are obedient to the things of God. So you see, if you're here this morning and you're a child of God, I'm going to be speaking to you this morning primarily as we look at verse 7. To thus who are believers in Christ, what does the word say there in verse 7? He gives unto those eternal life... Who who does He give eternal life to? To those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That's what we're called to do, brothers, right now. In the here and now, we are called to live constantly in a state of patient continuance in doing good. Day in and day out, we're not called to be static. We're not called to be immobile. We're called to be moving blessings of God. We're, we're called to be persistent. We're called to, to live in this state, not to be stopped. You know what happens when you're riding a bicycle and you, and you stop pedaling? You're going to fall over. Okay. The Christian's life is like that. We are to be continually, constantly in a state of movement before God, just like riding the bikes. The the Christian life is not like a sprint where we give it all we can for about 30 seconds and we quit. No, it's more like an endurance race. We're continually running the race, running the race, day in and day out. You remember patience? He was content. To be still and to do the good and to trust in the things of God for the future. On the other hand, mankind in general is like passion. They want it now. They don't want to hear the things of God. They They turn their backs away from the goodness of God. To seek those things which are base and things which are vile. Maybe some of you are here like that today. You're so caught up in your sins you do not see God. You think you're enjoying the blessings of of this earth and the the things of the flesh, but those things are going to kill you and destroy you and cause you to, to burn in hell for the rest of your life because you have rejected the very goodness and kindness and mercy of God. You've turned away from that. But we who are believers in Christ, we realize we're going to have to wait for the blessings of God to come. And that here and now, we are called to persistently do the good things that God has called us to do. We're in it for the long haul. And we're willing to wait upon God for the future blessings. So, God says to us here in this text that we are to be in a state of continually doing that which is good. Now, this does not mean that we uh, continue to do things nor that we might win our way to heaven, but it is indicative of the fact that if we are children of God, really, truly, we are going to do that which is good. So, let's ask first of all this morning, as we're thinking about this text this morning, We're called to be good. Now, when you hear that, sometimes negative connotations come up in their mind, don't they? We think of those who are the the goody two-shoes. We we think of those that... uh, are the, the, the phonies of being good, not the real thing. Those that are acting out, those that are uh, playing religion, those are the self-righteous types of person. Nobody in the world likes that type of person, do they? That's why they, we turn away from that type of person. But then again, is there another reason why we turn away from goodness? It, maybe it's because we do, from time to time, run across people that are truly good and godly people. And when we're around them, we feel maybe a little bit inferior that we may not match up to these people and maybe we become a little angry or indignant with them because they seem to be doing much better than we are so we have a, a little bit of resentment. So, what does it truly mean to be good, first of all? Let's talk about that. What does it mean to be good? Well, you remember Jesus in the Gospels was calling men to come into him. And there was a very rich person who said to Jesus, Good master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, this particular individual did not know that he was talking with the very Messiah of God. He did not know that he was talking to the Son of God. He did not know that he was talking to God in the flesh, and certainly Jesus knew that. So Jesus, first of all, wants to make one thing crystal clear from the get-go. He says, first of all, there is none good but God. In other words... To be good, in, in one sense, is totally out of the realm of humanity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was known as the Good Shepherd. Look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none, here it is, there is none who does good. No, not even one. None that are really good in the sense that God is good. You know, some people, they're philanthropists who do certain things. Good things, but so oftentimes they do it in order for, to, to receive the praise of men, some type of accolade for themselves, some type of selfish motive. We think about God, only God Himself is good. You see, only God is intrinsically good within Himself. We as men were sinners, God, there is no sin. Only God is good within Himself. Only God, is, only God is perfectly and morally pure. When we think of who God is, we think of a, a, a being who exists in, in, in light, a, a being that is absolute beauty with, with, with no deficiencies. One who is the essence of life, the essence of blissfulness, the, ex, the, the, the excellency of perfection. Within Himself, only God is good. And yet God, not only is He with Himself absolute goodness, but in all of His relations with all of His creations, He is ethically absolute perfect. In other words, He is all that one could ever expect that God should be. We read in the scripture where the scripture says, Shall not the God of the whole earth do that which is right? And he will, he always will do that which is right. It's impossible for act for God to act in any other fashion, because he is within himself good, so he always acts in absolute goodness. He is always loving, he is always kind, he is always gracious, though he was all always merciful, but he was also just and righteous in everything that He does. Psalm 145 tells us that God opens His hand and supplies or satisfies the desire of every living thing. Who is good? Well, only God is good. And and only can can we have some understanding of what goodness is by looking at God. But yet we... As believers are called in our text in Romans chapter 2-7 to always be about this patient continuance in doing good. So the next question we have before this text is really, who are those? Who are those that are doing this good that we read about? Well, keep your place there in Romans. And let's turn over to Luke. Luke chapter 6. And verse, we'll begin with verse 43. Jesus said, "For a Good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. Doesn't that make sense? Good tree is going to bear good fruit. Bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. For do men gather figs from thorns or do they they gather grapes from a bramble bush? Implied understanding. No way, man. No, of course not. Verse 45, But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Remember passion? He had no good heart, so he brought forth nothing good. The treasures that he loved were treasures of this world that are fleeting away. But the good man, because his heart is made good, brings forth treasures of good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, who are those that do good? They are the ones that have become good. They were not good in themselves. We just read in Romans chapter 3 that there is none good, none who understand, none who seeks after God. But those that are the good ones are the ones Listen to this. The good ones are the ones that have been made good by God and by God alone. Let's turn back to the book of Romans. You're here this morning and maybe you think uh, this good probability that you're in that first category that I talked about of the sinner who does not desire the things of God. This is how you can be made good. Romans chapter 4. Well, let's look, at verse, let's look at chapter 3 first. Chapter 3 and verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. You see, there is a righteousness that came from God that has nothing to do with the law of God, nothing to do with our keeping of the law. And this was witnessed by the law and the prophets. We jump down to verse 24 and we find out that this righteousness is a person. This righteousness of God is a person, verse 24, that came to us by the grace of God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation or an all-pleasing sacrifice unto Himself. So we see now that this righteousness of God, this goodness of God, is something apart from ourselves, something within God Himself, and within His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in chapter 4 and verse 5. We're on the journey here to find out how, who are the good ones and how do they become good. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, but it's not to him, but to him who does not work. He doesn't work. He doesn't try to be perfect. He doesn't try to honor himself or make himself right before God. But he does what? He simply believes upon him, upon Christ, who justifies or makes righteous the ungodly. Ah, here it is. And his faith is counted for righteousness. This is how one is made good. This is how the bad are made good. This is how the sinner is turned into a saint. By trusting in Christ. Because He was the all-sufficient, perfect, righteous, holy sacrifice. The only one that is good. And when we come to Him and confess our sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a divine transfer that occurs. Our sins are placed upon Him and when we believe and trust Him, realizing He provided for us a righteousness, (laughs) committing our hearts, to Him, His very righteousness is accounted to us who believe. No longer we deem sinners before God, but we are seen before God in the perfect beauty, righteousness, and goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's given to us. You see, we don't earn goodness. We become good based upon what Christ has done for us. Those are the ones who are the ones that are now capable of doing good. Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6 says, God is the one who began this good work in us, and he was the one that will complete it, bring it on to completion until the day of Christ's return. Philippians 2 and verse 13, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, this is all the hand of God in our lives that enables us to be persistent in doing good based upon what God has done in us. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, this was Paul's prayer, this is God's desire, that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. By the grace of God, we can please God because He's made us good and because we've been made good according to the person of Christ. We desire to live this out. And that to us is more meaningful, more blessed than everything that this earth can give unto us. Now, who are the ones that are good? The ones that have been made good by God and can go forth then and do real works. Now these works that we do, again, they do not allow us or give us some attainment that we can go to heaven, but there is simply an evidence of the real faith that we had in Christ when we believed and received the righteousness of Christ. Okay? They're an evidence. Works are an evidence. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And when we have true faith in Christ, we're like that good tree who brings forth good fruit. True faith brings in real works. So our faith and our works uh, are working together to prove, in fact, that we are children of God. So any goodness that we have, any righteousness that we have, any acts of kindness, love, consideration for one another are simply evidences that God's grace is working through us, you see. God's goodness, grace is working through us so that we can live a life of patient continuance in doing those things that please God. So then he says, we are to continue working in this matter. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. No set back and let God, you see. We're striving, we're working. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but we just read in the very preceding verse, but it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So only God is good, and only those who are the good ones are those who have been made good by God. So the next question we ask... Is, to whom then are we to do good? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 states that as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We begin with one another. We, we, we begin right here with one another. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just listen. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, we are told about this one that is recognized by the church. Her name is Dorcas, but her name is actually Tabitha, which means... Gazelle. And as I thought about Tabitha and all that she did for the church and her name being Gazelle, I tell you what, this gal was the kind of gal that could hop to it. She was the one who stayed busy. She did not say to her brothers and sisters in Christ, Oh, uh, peace to you, be warmed and be filled. God bless you. No, she was active in her ministry to the saints within the church. But the Scripture says that this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. And we know the the story here of of what happened to uh, Tabitha or Dorcas in the Gospels. She was greatly loved. And in the province of, of God, she died. And there in that particular house, the the widows came and, and showed. they were crying over her, thinking about all the wonderful things that she had done for them in the past as they, they stood weeping over her and all the saints were gathered around. And all the peoples showed their tunics and their garments that, that, that Tabitha had made for them while she was living on this earth, you see. She served the Lord and her works did follow in all that she did. Now the rest of the story uh, there in the book of Acts is that Peter uh, saw the the brokenness of the people and he went in by the authority of God and raised her up from the dead. But the, the point for this passage is she was content and joyful and happy to look not to the deep, her own needs, but to the needs of others. And she served the Lord in a very giving ministry. For some reason, I thought of a lot of women in the church who served the Lord. I also thought of Phoebe. We're still in the book of Romans there. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter sixteen. We'll look at verse one. Paul says, and can you imagine this? He's writing this letter to the Church of Rome, and now he's, as he's ending up his epistle, he's getting very personal, personable. So he says, I commend to you, Church of Rome, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now the word servant there is the word uh, deaconess. Now we're not sure if, she was a, uh, if there was a, a formal uh, role in the church as a deaconess. Some believe that concerning certain uh, deaconesses, that it was an actually an office where she functioned like an elder, not to the congregation as a whole, but to the younger women. And then some felt that there was another class of the deaconess uh, where they gave themselves to the sick and the poor. We don't know for sure. But the point being is she was indeed a servant. She was a deaconess, a servant who served the Lord. And then he says to her, to the church, this was Paul's admonition, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Now that doesn't mean, you see the word saint there is not capitalized, it means that she's not to be put upon a pedestal, but it does mean that she as a child of God, a Christian, was one who truly, truly lived out her faith as she ministered to the needs of others regard her in a manner worthy as a true saint, a true child of God, and assist her in whatever business she has need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself. She's been an advocate for many. She's been a minister, a helper, a patroness, a benefactor to many in the church and also to the Apostle Paul. So recognize her. Recognize the one who has given herself and, and, and serves the Lord quietly and in, and in honor and reverence to God. And then I thought also of the widows Paul mentions in first Timothy. If you will turn over to first Timothy Chapter five. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. In other words, she's faithful to her husband. That she can be put on a list whereby she can be provided for. Why? Because she has spent her whole life providing for the needs of other people. Because, look at verse 10, she is well reported for Good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the the saints' feet, in other words, she's ministered to people all of her life. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. You see these folks. You see these ladies ministering, caring about the needs of others in the church. Who, to whom are we to be good to? One another. We're to love one another, encourage one another, care for one another. Look not unto thine own needs, but to the needs of one another. Esteem others better than yourself. I also think one of the major themes of Paul, we find this theme particularly in the letters to Corinth of how Paul was always taking up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he gives praise to the Macedonian churches that would have included Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. And he says that they gave of themselves despite great trial and afflictions and their great poverty. There was persecution going on. These cities, this portion of the Roman Empire was a war-raged section where that there was little left. They were lived in deep poverty. And yet in their poverty, they gave liberally... To the saints in Jerusalem. Now, how did they give? They said, well, you know, we're in pretty bad shape ourselves here, but I guess we can afford a few uh, pennies for these people. No, they didn't give that way. They gave liberally and they gave with an abundance of joy in their heart because of their great love for the Lord and for the saints in Jerusalem, you see. God was working through these people. Through these churches who gave of themselves, ministering to the body of Christ. So you see, these are just examples of the fact that we are to minister to one another. We are to be continually doing good to one another in the body of Christ. Let's look also in Ephesians Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four and verse fifteen. This is the role of the, of the church in verse 15. We are to be speaking the truth in love to one another that we may grow up in all things into Christ who is the head, from whom the whole body joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does it share." causing growth of the body and its, for the edifying of itself in love. But what is He saying there, folks? He says, you know, as I look out there to you guys and gals, I see separate entities. I see individuals. You see? We are individuals. But you know, when the Lord looks at us, and certainly He sees individuals, but He also sees us as one functioning body, one organism. Do you get that? We are one living organism before God. You see, that's why it's so important that whatever we do, we do it in unity. How many places in the New Testament do we see the apostles calling for the unity of the brethren? Because we are all joined together in this body of Christ. We are all related to Him. And how can we relate to Him as one body to our head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's differences among us? We can't do it, folks, you see. We could look back in the Old Testament how God brought destruction and wrath upon the children of Israel because one person, Achan, took from the spoils and brought the judgment of God upon the whole people of God. I mean, think of this. You know, the picture is of a body. Here we are. Uh, a body. And, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get you to look at my body for just a little bit here, okay? Picture, picture me as the body of Christ. Each one of us. Well, What happens... If my hand decides to float up to the ceiling and I don't have it anymore, or my foot decides to take a walk out the door and I don't have it anymore, I'm going to be in bad shape on not I? I can't function. That's the way it is with us folks. We, we can't function without one another. Right now as we worship God, you think, well, the preacher's doing the work. preacher's doing the work. He's, he's, he's up there preaching. He's teaching. Not completely true. Because I can't preach without your support. I can't minister at all without your love, your prayers. We can't do it. If we don't come together as one body, one whole, we can do nothing apart from one another. You see, God wants to do great and glorious things through His local church. But He expects us to be in this state of continuance, persistence of doing good, one to another, ministering unto one another, in order that they might see your good works, Jesus said, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God is glorified when we live as the saints ought to live, ministering to one another. So we see there that we are too good to do good to the household of God, but we're also to do good unto all men. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Jesus said, "You are the light of the world. A city is set a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand where it gives light to all who are in the house let your light so shine before men mankind in general everybody in the world that they may what that they may see your good works and there it is and glorify your father in heaven we're to do good unto all men and then in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. We read of others to whom we are to be doing good. You have heard that it is said, was said, you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. That's not the Bible. That was the tradition of certain Jewish people. But I say to you, you're to love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You see, we can take a chill pill. We can relax and say, hey, you know, in Christ I've overcome the world. I'm in the truth. Uh, The goodness of God has been shed abroad in my heart. And now I've been made good. I'm at peace with God. There's no more enmity between me and God. I've been reconciled to Him. I'm at peace with the Lord. And so what's the big deal if somebody hates me or has animosity towards me? I'm cool, man. I'm I'm in peace with the Lord. Everything's good. God's on His throne. And I can rest in Him. And hey, I can even love these people because of the peace of God that God has wrought in my heart because of His goodness and grace that has been manifested unto me. Then lastly, I want to ask the question then, bringing this to an end, what is really the true motivation for us to do good? It's not that we would earn some type of brownie points before God. It's not that we can earn our salvation. No, absolutely, totally impossible. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not that we can make God love us any more because of certain good works that we do. As a child of God, there's nothing that we can do to make Him love us any more or any less than He does right now because we're His children. Now there's things that we can do to bring about the displeasure of God. But we can't cause God to love us anymore. Love is rooted in God. God is love and it is by the grace of God that He loves us to begin with. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because He loved us. Another motivation is not that we might look good before men. You know, Jesus, of all the people Jesus spoke harshly to, it was the Pharisees who were doing that very very same, same thing. They were doing good in order to appear good before men. Why? Well, the answer is, is very simple. It's the only answer. What is our motivation to do good? It's because God has done good to us. Because He's loved us and gave, Him, gave His Son for us. He has promised to us eternal life. And we're overjoyed because of what He's done. And we seek seek to return, not that we ever could, but we seek to do good because He's been good to us. We love Him and we want to please Him. And the Scripture says that when we do that, God delights in those who serve and give themselves. I thought of the Old Testament where God says to... The evil one. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, come on. He's a just man who does right in all of the earth. Have you, have you thought about him? You see, and there are so many different ways that we can show his love. The Bible says children can show their love to God by being obedient to their parents. We show our love for God uh, according to Thessalonians chapter 4 by walking uprightly, by living holy lives, lives that are pleasing to the world. We show our love to God according to 2 Timothy that we might live as a good soldier lives. You know, when a soldier signs up to serve his country, he puts away civilian affairs in order that he might please might please the one who has enlisted him into the service. All things are put away that he might become a good soldier. As Christians, we, in a like manner, are not to entangle ourselves in worldly, temporal affairs of this life, but rather we're to be continually and constantly looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We're not entangled. We're not caught up. remember, remember, passion. He was caught up in the affairs of this life, and it brought about his own destruction. They lose everything that do that. We've already mentioned the the church, uh, the churches that gave themselves uh, greatly uh, to the Judean saints. And Paul says, as you think about what they had been doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, all the planning, the preparation, the organizing that took place for the Judean Christians, they gave them themselves voluntarily, sacrificially in their giving. But why did they do it? They did it for one reason. That was to please and honor God, that God would get the glory from everything that they did. You see, God is 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 working in our hearts, and because He is so good, so gracious, so merciful, so kind, it impacts us to the point that we want to be as He is. We want to go about doing true acts of righteousness. Well, let's turn back to our text now in Romans chapter two. What are we looking at? What are we looking for? We're like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. We we are in the process of leaving the city of destruction, headed to the celestial city. Because God has promised Romans chapter two and verse seven eternal life to those who "...who by patient continuance in doing good..." Now again, they're not earning their salvation, are they, by doing good. "...because they're recipients of grace and the goodness of God, they continue out of the love of God day in and day out to do good because what are they seeking? What are we seeking? He says there that they are seeking for glory and honor and immortality." You see, these are things not of this earth. These are the things of the heavenly kingdom that they are seeking for. Just as we read about those in Hebrews chapter 11, the saints of God who were seeking a different homeland. They were seeking a heavenly country. They were like the... Like many in the past of of Noah who was diligent in these things. Like Noah served God for decade after decade after decade of building the ark. Although he was made fun of and, and ridiculed, he kept on keeping on doing what God had called him to do. Abraham left the area of the Chaldees to go into a country where he knew not to follow God, to do what God had told him to do, although he did not even know where He was going. I like to read the words of Josiah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all of the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand nor to the left. Job in referring to the truly good ones who follow God. He says, yet the righteous will hold to his way, and he who has clean hands will become stronger and stronger, you see. We have renounced the hidden things of darkness because we have seen the heavenly kingdom. And we are willing to wait patiently for the blessings that come in the future, to be content, to be happy serving God right now in the little things, you see. We're not overcome by the things of this world. We desire to honor Him and to please Him right now. And we are seeking those things which which accompany heaven. He says there that we are seeking after glory. Glory refers to that which accompanies God's praise and beauty, His majesty, His splendor, His true riches, the grand things, the things which are in accord with the divine life. And then he says there as well that we seek honor. Uh, God said through the prophet Eli, for those who honor me, I will honor In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. The Lord says to the apostle Paul, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as believers in Christ... We're focused on Christ and His reward for us. Our eye is on the prize, not upon the temporal things of this world. And that's what we give ourselves to. Not only that, but we are seeking immortality. Now let's define that word a little more clearly. Now in a sense, we all are immortal. Even the sinners that are without God, they're going to have an immortal life in a place of judgment in hell but we are seeking immortality in the sense that it is a quality of life it is it is a life of bliss it is a life of incorruption 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that through in verse 4 that because of the resurrection of Christ and the fact that we have been raised up with Christ that we are promised this living hope of an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for us, that we that love God. So you see, this is where our heart lies, is not brothers and sisters. We've been around long, enough to know that this world has nothing to offer. So now it's our desire to reflect the goodness of God, to live of life in continuance of doing good, before in these things we are seeking things from the heavenly kingdom, that which is pertains to glory, honor, and immortality. A life that does not fade away. A life that continues on and on, which there shall be no end of the glory which we shall experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. Patient continuance. Are you content and happy that you're in Christ? Now you know, it's interesting as we just read about many of those saints that went on before us and how they received the praise of God. And you can look at every one of those individuals, Abraham, David, Moses, Paul, many others, and we can find we can fly, find serious flaws, sins in their life. But isn't it gracious that when God looks upon these people, they are seen as righteous those that are faithful? Why is that? You see, they endured to the very end. They were in a life of constant continuance in doing those things which please God. And they failed at times. And we're going to fail at times. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, what we're talking about here today, brothers and sisters, is the true doctrine of the perseverance of the saints of God. That we as children of God will persevere unto the end. Not because of anything that's in us it's because of the grace of God that works in us. We want to be persistent. We want to persevere. We want to please God even though there are times in our lives where we're going to fall away we're going to sin against God. We're going to... We may be back sitting for a time. There may be a time in our life where the sweetness and preciousness of God is not seen in our life. But yet we persevere. Hungry and thirsty. Why is that? Because we have tasted of the heavenly gifts of God. There's nothing for us back there. We don't don't want that. We're content to serve God. We're content just to please God and to honor Him even though nobody knows about it. I may not get any accolades. I may not get any praise. I may not even get any encouragement. There may be tons and tons of experiences that are difficult, dark times. These things come about in order that we might learn to find our contentment in the things of God and not look for them in the things of this world. God is concerned that we live a life of patient continuance in doing these things. Pilgrim. Christian continued walking through the interpreter's house. And he went into another room, and inside that room he saw a wall which fire was blazing up on the wall. And though as he watched the fire blazing upon the wall, there was one there that was throwing buckets of water into the fire. And the more water that this individual threw into the fire, it seemed like it just made the fire burn hotter and higher the whole time. And Christian asked the interpreter, what is the meaning of this? And he said, well, let us go beyond the other side of the wall and see what else is occurring. Although there was one throwing water upon the fire, there was one in the background that was throwing oil upon the fire during the whole time the individual was throwing water upon the fire. And Christian said, what does this mean? And the interpreter said, well, the devil is the one that is continually throwing his water upon our lives. The fire of God. But the one in the background is Christ who continually pours forth the oil, oil of grace in our lives and come what but may, even though Satan seeks to quench out our fire, the oil of God is continually replenishing our life so that our fire cannot be quenched. It is the grace of God in Christ that is given to us Grace upon grace. More grace. Continual grace in our lives. And because of that grace that is alive and active in us, we can continue day in and day out in a life of persistent goodness to the glory of God. It is His work in our lives. It is nothing that we have done in and of ourselves. Thank You, I want nothing to do with this world. Yes, I will go through tribulation. I will go through hardships. But I gladly bear His cross in my life. I would rather be a servant in the house of the Lord to sit in the seats of the Almighty. For His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank You this morning. For Your precious Word, I pray, Lord, that this Word would go forth and accomplish its very purpose in each of our lives. That we might live fruitful, God-honoring lives that would bless You through which You might receive all of the glory and all of the praise. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.